Good morning. How are you all? Good to see you all. Uh, just a couple things before I get started here this morning. Um, the first is this. Uh, I have been told that, it, ladies, if you're curious about the women's celebration, our fearless women's group leader, Laura Robinson, will be out in the lobby and be willing to talk with you about all of that. So just find her and talk with her. Um, the second thing is this. We are so lucky. We are so lucky and blessed as a community to have musicianship like we do. I, I cannot, art, look, I've been in a lot of churches, okay? And we are so, but here's, did, did y'all notice something different this morning about our team? What'd you notice? Our little Lorelei was up there. She's 13 years old. She was playing the acoustic like a professional today. Man, Justin sat down with me this week. He's like, I think I'm going to let Lorelai play, play it. I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. Because this is what we're about here, man. We are about investing in the next generation. So Lorelai, I know you're shy. I know you're hating every second of this, but we love you and we are so grateful for you. Thank you very much. Okay, we're in the book of Acts. So uh, as it's been mentioned, many of you know, last weekend, myself and 17 other adventurous Guys from Genesis spent the weekend at Tonto Rim Christian Camp. It's about 20 miles northeast of Payson. And the setting was beautiful. The food was actually pretty good. I think, guys, we can attest to that. Um, and uh, the company was great. We spent time worshiping together, learning together, having fun together. At one point, there, uh, a four-on-four touch football game broke out. And I just want to tell you, you have not lived until you have seen eight out-of-shape middle-aged guys <laughs> attempt to play touch football. It was, it was, and you know, bring back the glory days of their youth. This is the most delusional group of men you've ever been around, right? I got this, right? Like just totally delusional. It was amazing. I walked away with like a torn hamstring. I don't know. It was, it was a bad deal. But uh, one week removed from it all, I, I still have these lingering thoughts of moments that occurred during the weekend. You know, when you spend a weekend like that with friends and whatever, there's these moments that you just, you sort of remember more clearly than others. Hearing a room full of men sing Do It Again and Graves into Gardens is just etched in my memory. Watching as men sat at the edge of their seats listening to the words of our speaker, a good friend of mine, just take root in their lives, sitting around a table, eating a meal, listening to the stories how God is actively pursuing the men in this church and changing them. Man, that, that will last with me for a long time. You know, the whole experience lasted about 40 hours. It felt much longer than that, especially during the nighttime when we were all trying to sleep in bunks. But man, those 40 hours were incredible evidence of the power of the good news of Jesus. And while I was gone, I heard you all had a little treat. Um, and Kristen, I think her words from last week ring true even in my mind today. As I remember that time spent on the mountain together, it's all true, man. Every word of this, it's all true. Every single word of it. And so as we dive back into the book of Acts today, which if you're new here today, we've been walking very slowly through the book of Acts for a couple of years now, and um, we're going to make it. We're almost to chapter 20, fingers crossed, right? 
Uh, but it's very intentional. We are looking at the very first days of the life of the church as it got off the ground. And as we dive back in, we're going to see how the very same power that occurred on top of a mountain outside of Payson with about 60 other guys last week was also a very stark reality in the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. So if you haven't done so yet, you can grab your phone and open up the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that, free resource, great resource, download it. Go to more and events and then find Genesis Church. You'll be able to follow along, take notes with me throughout all of that. If you have your paper Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. So real quick recap from a couple of weeks ago. We walked into Acts chapter 19, and as we did, we found Paul uh, at, at the city of Ephesus for the very first time. And upon his arrival, he becomes keenly aware that there are believers in Ephesus that have some misinformation about Jesus and what it means to be a believer and follower of him. Now, in chapter 18, we are introduced to a guy named Apollos who had a similar introduction or misinformation and is introduced to Priscilla and Aquila. And so there's this, this sneaking suspicion that some misinformation is happening in Ephesus. So when Paul arrives on the scene, he starts to talk with some believers and he realized, oh yes, there is misinformation. In particular, those first believers in Ephesus are not aware that the Holy Spirit is alive in their life. They've not been taught that, yes, Jesus has resurrected, he's ascended to heaven, but that when a person believes and places their faith in Jesus, the helper, the advocate for our faith, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our lives. And so the power of the Holy Spirit begins to take root in their lives. And we see this explosion of just faith and belief in these few men and women who are there. And so as we pick up the story in verse 8, we're going to see Paul begin to begin what will become his longest stint in any city that he ever visited. Let's pick it up. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Y'all ready? Okay, let's do it. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, again, if you read the book of Acts, we've been walking through it, you know this is Paul's strategy when he walks into a city for the first time. When he goes to a city in the Roman Empire, he goes straight for the synagogue. He wants to make an attempt to attach the good news of Jesus Christ and what has happened on the cross and through his resurrection with those that God had chosen as his nation, as his people thousands of years prior, the Jewish people. And so he makes that attempt every single time. And the result is almost always similar. And here's what happens. Verse 9. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So this is kind of what always happens for Paul goes into a city. He starts preaching in the synagogue. Some of those who are there, they place their faith in Jesus. They attach, man, this Old Testament story that we've been living, it is now fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. He is the Messiah. But most people actually reject the message. And so he's forced to leave. And in this case, he leaves and he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, we don't know a lot about Tyrannus, but based on the culture of the time, and the situation that Paul ends up in, he was likely a Greek philosopher or at least a philosophy teacher of sorts. 
And he spent time teaching a group of students ancient Greek philosophy. And schools like this were commonplace in the first century, especially in Asian Minor and what is now modern-day Greece. And it would have been a perfect location for Paul to continue his work in Ephesus. It was a situation set up for him to be able to gather people together and teach about Jesus. It's interesting, a little side note here. There are some of you who were here, and I know you, I saw you walk through the doors. There are some of you who are here today who were a part of the early days of this church. We met at a school. In fact, most churches, at least in America, that start these days, at some time, spend a little time in a school. If you've ever been to a church plant, you know you went to some elementary school, middle school, high school, and that's where they had their services. Isn't it interesting that thousands of years later, we are taking the same strategy Paul was doing in Ephesus? It's pretty cool, right? I don't even think we realize it. Just we're just looking for somewhere to gather together to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason, it often ends up in a school when it starts. Now, here's the thing. In other translations, we reuse the New Living Translation here, but there's other translations. We're told that, there, that Paul would actually show up at the hall of Tyrannus at a very specific time, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Seems like an odd time, but there's a reason that that's why he was there then. You see, because of the heat within Mediterranean, the Middle East, Asia Minor, most businesses and schools were closed between these hours. People would go home, they would have a little siesta, they would take a little nap, they would allow the temperatures to cool off, and then when the sun began to go down again, they would return back to their schools and their workplaces. And so it was during those hours that Paul rented, used the Hall of Tyrannus. It is during those hours that Paul stood and taught every day in the sweltering heat and now let's just assume that he didn't talk for the entire five hours, right? Let's just say he taught for three hours, okay? Maybe they took a little break. They had a little refreshment in there. You know, it's like, everybody go to the potty, whatever. I don't know how this works, right? <laughs> but let's just say it was a three-hour time together. That's three hours a day, six days a week, right? Not on the Sabbath, for two solid years. That's incredible, I'm going to leave today after preaching about 35 to 40 minutes and take a two-hour nap, okay? And as I considered this, I thought, what would drive someone to do this? I mean, there are so many other options for Paul here. Why would a person preach day after day, week after week, year after year, in the hottest part of the day for three to five hours at a time? Well, I believe, and I think the text even shows us today, that Paul has experienced something in his life that is undeniable. He has experienced something that has shaken him to his very core, and he cannot deny it any longer. Paul has experienced something that has forever changed him and the life that he leads. And because of what he has experienced, he cannot help himself but stand in the sweltering heat in the hall of Tyrannus and teach more people about Jesus. And what he has experienced specifically and what he has witnessed, experienced, uh, witnessed especially is the personal power of the gospel. 
And when a person experiences the personal power of the good news of Jesus, it causes people to become and do things that are often incredibly unexpected. Things they probably in their right mind wouldn't do. And it can be easy to think about the, the good news of Jesus and the power of it as almost this universal power, right? It, it, you know, it's like, yeah, the good news has power. It goes into the world and it changes things as it spreads. But the Bible makes it very clear that the gospel's power, it isn't just some universal force that moves through the world. The gospel's power is personal. And it is personal to every person who believes. The power of the gospel has been and will always be an up-close and personal experience for people who have placed their faith in Jesus. When a person believes that Jesus came in human form and lived a life, a perfect, sinless life, and died upon a cross for the sins of the world, the personal sins of you and me, was buried, it was dead for three days, and then rose again, ascended to heaven, and sent his Holy Spirit to us. When a person believes that, they experience the personal power of the gospel. It is not just some universal force we talk about. It is personal. And Paul has experienced the personal inward power of the gospel, and he cannot hold it in any longer. In fact, we'll actually see how Paul has experienced one way that he is, it's sort of manifested its way in his life, and we'll see the other side of the coin with this in the next passage of what happens when we don't believe that the power of the gospel is personal. Verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles, all the way. I don't know why Luke writes unusual miracles. I don't know how many miracles you've ever seen, but it's not like I see a miracle, I'm like, seen that, that's, yeah, that's just, that's just regular miracle, right? But yeah, I mean, really, do we need unusual? But for whatever reason, Luke says unusual miracles. It makes me kind of think that this was like, miracles were just like, they were just like, yeah, that happens all the time. And so Luke is like, these were unusual miracles. Verse 12, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. You see how personal that is? A group of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, this is so great. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul. Who the heck are you? Okay, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right? <laughs> then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and, ba wow. and battered. Weird scene. See, now, Luke, that's unusual, okay? <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand. Regardless of how usual or unusual it was, people, or excuse me, Paul is healing people both physically and spiritually. 
because of the personal experience of the power of the gospel in his life. And he is extending that same personal power of the gospel into the lives of other people. And did you notice that meanwhile, a group of Jewish men begin to try and do it themselves, to which then even an evil spirit is like, look, I don't even know who you are. You're nothing to me, right? I mean, on the one hand, Paul has not only received the personal power of the gospel, but he's also able then to distribute it to others who believe. And on the other hand, you cannot give what you do not have. The seven sons of Sceva haven't experienced themselves the personal power of the gospel, so they have no way of giving it out, even to the point where the demon is like, seriously, are you kidding me right now? What are you, what, what are you even trying to do here? You have no power over me. The power of the gospel is personal. It's not tangential. You can't get it by osmosis or by just being within proximity. You can't, be, you can't walk around saying, well, you know, Paul does this, so I should be able to do this. It has to be personal to you first. To experience the power of the gospel, it needs to be made personal through the person of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And as we saw, when it becomes personal, the power of the gospel leads to healing. The people around Paul experience physical and spiritual healing. Some of you in this room right now, you are desperate for the personal power of Jesus to bring healing in your life. And I'm telling you, you can search the world and you will not find the spiritual healing that you will find in the Savior of this world. Acts 19, 17 through 20. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. I mean, when a naked man runs around the neighborhood, people start talking, right? <laughs> to Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Watch what happens. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who'd been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Ephesus was known to be a hotbed for magic and sorcery in the first century. Uh, people would often travel long distances, in fact, to purchase books and potions and all sorts of paraphernalia that they could use to perform magic and sorcery wherever they lived. And the books that were composed, most of them were one of a kind. And because of that, they were worth a whole lot of money. The people that were selling the potions and the books were some of the wealthiest people in Ephesus. But as soon as the personal power of the gospel grabs the people who are in Ephesus, who are involved in magic and sorcery, likely those who are running the stores selling these items, it becomes personal to them immediately. In verse 18, it says, those who became believers confessed their sinful practices and that those who were involved in a lifestyle of sorcery and magic brought these books and potions and whatever else, and they burned them in the public fire for all to see. And it wasn't just a few novels from home, all right? 
These books burned would have been the equivalent in value to us of three to five million dollars. I mean, you could have thought, why, dude, just sell them and be done with it. But the power of the gospel became so personal to them, they realized, I don't want one of these books to get into the hands of another person ever again. I would rather them burn. Now, look, I am not all about burning books. That's not what this is about, right? This was not forced upon them. This was a personal conviction on their part where they realized, I can no longer live in the presence of these items in my life. I need to repent of that because when the personal power of the gospel gets hold of a person's life, it leads people to repentance. The power of the gospel leads to repentance. It's what happens in these men and women. There's an interesting story um, that occurred during the Welsh revival of 1904. In, in the country of Wales, there was a huge revival in the early 20th century. And during that time, tens of thousands of people living in Wales became Christians. The estimate is over 100,000 people. It's not a real big country, okay? And they experienced that personal power of the good news of Jesus when they placed their faith in him. And in one particular case, the results of that were really unexpected. One of the effects of this revival was that coal production in the mines of Wales dropped dramatically. Now, it wasn't because a bunch of guys quit their jobs. No, it was something else. And so those in charge, they couldn't understand what was happening, so they started to do a little research. Well, come to find out, the Welsh miners were having, a diff were having difficulty getting these small ponies that would often carry the coal out of the mines to be distributed, getting them to carry loads of it out of the mines. And they couldn't understand, why can't we, what is the holdup? Why won't these ponies move? Well, the majority of the miners that worked in the coal mines had been directly affected by the revival in Wales at the time, and they began to experience the personal power of the gospel. And as a result, they began to confess their sins and repent of them and start to live a little differently. Now, as you can imagine, working in coal mines is, you know, a little rough around the edges, if you will. And so when the miners in previous times would give commands to the ponies, you can imagine they were laced with all sorts of profanity. But now that their lives have been changed, they had repented of this foul language and stopped using it and the ponies were confused. They didn't know what to do. They were giving commands that they'd never heard before, right? I mean, I can imagine the pony like, wait a second, where's the F word? I don't understand. Am I supposed to go right now? Am I not supposed to go right now? They didn't understand what the miners were asking them to do. And it took months before the ponies were able to follow the new radio version commands of the miners, Right? Because the personal power of the gospel, it leads people to confess the darkness in their lives, to confess the sin in their life, and then to turn from it and begin to live totally differently. It enables us, the power of the gospel enables us to see that sin in our lives like we haven't before. We've ignored it, we've pushed it aside, we've, we've enjoyed it. But all of a sudden, we see our rebellion against God, against the God who loves and pursues us, and we slowly begin to, to want nothing to do with it any longer. Let me finish up this passage, verse 21, because it shows us another thing that begins to happen. 
when the power of the gospel gets hold of us. Afterward, Paul felt compelled to, by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. After two and a half years spent in Ephesus, Paul finally decides he needs to go where he has always wanted to go, the city of Rome. And in the process, he experiences the personal power of the gospel once again. You see, because the power of the gospel leads to greater mission. When the personal power of the gospel takes root in our hearts, it leads us to do things and go places we may never have imagined before. It spurs us on to do greater mission for the kingdom of God in the world. And ultimately, the power of the gospel is personal because it rests in one person, Jesus. He is the source of healing. He is the one who leads us to repentance. He is the one who calls us out to greater mission. And without him, we have no access to God's power in our lives. And so I got to ask this morning, have you placed your faith, and you got some, have you placed your faith in the person of Jesus? That sense of healing that you desire, the sin that seems to just keep pulling you back, that nagging idea in your mind that, man, I was created for a reason. There is something I have to do beyond myself. It exists in the power of the gospel. Have you placed your faith in him? Because all of those things that we just innately desire, we cannot, we can search the world and you will not find what you find in the person of Jesus. Are you aware that that healing you desire and the freedom you crave and the purpose you're searching for, they're ultimately found in him and the good news of who he is? Or are you spending time like the seven sons of Sceva just trying to figure it all out on your own? You know, like Paul, it is my greatest desire that the power of the good news of Jesus becomes intimately personal for you that it brings healing and repentance and stirs you to greater mission. And Genesis, that invitation is there right for the taking this morning. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's there for you. God has already done it all for you. You have the opportunity to come before the Savior of the world and allow the power of who he is and what he has done to take hold of your life in an intimate and personal way. Some of you are here, I know, who are desperate for healing physically and spiritually. Will you turn to the one who has made the gospel personal and brought healing with him? And some of you are being called out of the sinful patterns of your life and into new life. Will you turn from your sin, toss it all in the fire, and allow the personal power of the gospel through Jesus to change who you are? Some of you are being called to greater mission in your life, to become more generous, more sacrificial, more selfless. Will you allow the personal power of the gospel to lead you to what Jesus has next for you? It's there for the taking. I'm telling you, I have tasted it, and I have seen what it can do. I have experienced myself, like Paul, the personal power 
of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if me, if me, a sinner just like you, can experience that same personal power and watch it completely change my perspective, not just of who I am, but who the world is, it can be true for you as well. You know, later in life, long after Paul would leave Ephesus and the church, he uh, wrote a a letter to the church at Ephesus. And in that letter, he would once again remind them of the power of the gospel in their lives. And I just want to read it to you. I just want you to hear these words of Paul. Listen to the intimate, personal power of what he is talking about. Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God... But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Hear that, friends? He didn't do it out of anger. He did it out of love. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. You are united with Christ Jesus when you place your faith with him. Whatever power exists in Christ, it is now yours. It is now in you. I lost my spot. Verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by grace when you believed. You notice that? It doesn't say, and God saved you when you got your act together. It doesn't say, and God saved you when you finally figured it all out. It didn't say, it fi- you, know, you, finally, you know, you finally picked up all the pieces and you got your finances together and your marriage is the best marriage in the world and you're just the perfect little person walking on the earth and then finally God loved you. No, 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 no. This is God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. I can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about. Listen to these final words. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. It is personal. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. My hope for you as you walk into this Thanksgiving week is that you will take time to reflect on and be thankful for the personal power that comes in and through the the man, Jesus Christ. That this week, you would begin to experience healing, that you would be called out of whatever sin is holding you back, that you would experience greater mission in your life, that you would experience the personal power of the gospel.
And this morning, I want us to end to remember where it all starts and where it all ends in the person of Jesus. We're going to take communion together this morning. And I want it to serve as a reminder that it was in Jesus' weakest moment that his power was strongest. And that even in our weakest moment, the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, shows itself to be strongest. So I want to invite you this morning to come in your weakness, not in your strength. To remember that the power of the gospel is personal to you, and that because of God's love for you and his deep, rich mercy for you, he is calling you in your weakness to gather up the strength that he has in and through his son, Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to remind you that Jesus walked this earth, tempted in every way that you were, sinless in every way that we weren't. He walked every step all the way to Golgotha to be nailed upon a cross to endure the pain and the shame of our sin, to set us free that we might personally experience the power that comes from him. He rose again three days later, friends, so that we would not walk this earth alone, but that in and through his power of resurrection, we too would be resurrected to new life. So I invite you to come to the table in weakness and experience his power and strength this morning. There's three stations around the room, one on either side of me. There's a cracker and some juice. You can grab that, take it back to your seat. And just remember the body that was broken for you, the blood that was shed for your sins, the power of the gospel of the good news in a tangible form. There's also baskets on those tables. Um, if you feel led, you can give to that, our benevolence fund for that. That fund goes to help people in our community, both inside and outside of our church, with basic needs, food, shelter, etc. cetera. Uh, no obligation, but if you feel led to do that, you can. You can also do it online. Just spend a little bit of time this morning. Remember the living hope that we have in Jesus and the power of the gospel that comes through him.